Welcome to the Money Curious Podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Essien. Money Curious is dedicated to bringing you the best financial content, whether you're a millennial, Gen Z, or even a boomer. If you want great wealth building tips, if you're looking into some side hustles, or even just knowing about different investment and debt pay down strategies, then this is the podcast for you. Now, before we get into today's show, I need you guys to do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on all other major listening platforms and on Instagram at Money Curious Podcast. Hey, listeners, welcome to the Money Curious Podcast. You've reached the last episode of 2021. Yeah, we're wrapping up the year with this one, but don't worry, we have more in store for you in 2022. Yeah, Laura and I had a great time podcasting this year, and we're really excited for what's to come next year with uh, the new guests, the new topics that we're going to be talking about. So I'm glad you guys have been on this journey with us so far, and I'm going to let you know right now, we're going to continue to produce a lot more great content, which brings us to what we're going to talk about today. Um, Laura, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So today we wanted to talk about the changes we've made in our own personal finance journey once we discovered what financial independence was and like why we became and how we became more financial literate. That to us is something we want to break down. We want to break down our previous misconceptions and then the new realizations we've made once like things started clicking. So we'll talk through that today. So starting off, I personally didn't necessarily know what financial independence was. I never heard about it. But what I did hear about was getting rich. So I don't know about you guys listening, but I grew up watching rap videos. And when I thought about being rich, that's the image that I saw. You know, the big house, the big cars, the the lifestyle. Right. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. Then as I got older, not older, I guess after college, I found out about financial independence. And I want to start off the first and building off of that. I want to start off with the first misconception I had. I'm just going to go through the list. One of them was the difference between rich and wealthy. I honestly thought that those two words were synonymous. I thought that was the same thing. If you talk about a wealthy individual, he's also rich. If you talk about a rich individual, he's also wealthy. Um, I would agree but, with that too. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think they're not the same. They're not the same. I think being rich has more to do with the flash. It has more to do with your income. If you have a high income, you're probably rich, right? Whereas being wealthy, you have a lot of money, but all those other things, those surface level things, you don't have to show off, right? So, so in my opinion, someone could be rich and wealthy, but a lot of times that's not the case, right? So someone who's really wealthy, typically you don't see them, according to the books I've read and the people I've actually met, typically you don't see them being all flashy or whatnot. They're not the people you see in the rap videos. They're not the people with the, with the private jets all the time. And that was probably the biggest realization for me. I was like, wait, what? You don't, but you're a millionaire. Shouldn't you be driving like a, a Maserati? Shouldn't you be driving like a, I don't know, a Bentley, not this Toyota Camry, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, or Ford F-150. But, but the majority of the books I've read and the people I've met, they don't, they don't buy those things. You know, wealth is more about how much money you have in the bank or how many assets you have, not necessarily how you show off or how you spend that money. Yeah. And I would agree with that. Like, honestly, I had the same misconception. I thought, 
you know, people who had like, I thought you need to, you, to be rich and, and also the same thing meant to be wealthy was like, you have the biggest house, you have the, the fanciest car. And then that's what defined success. And that's what defined someone really working hard for their money and working hard mm-hmm. for their future. So um, quickly learned that wasn't the case after discovering mm-hmm. financial independence. Anybody can reach financial independence early um, or whenever it is in their lives. And they don't necessarily only have to be rich and, and being wealthy is very different than being rich. Another- I want to caveat this real mm-hmm. quick before you go. I do want those things still. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but but I'm not going to buy them until I know for a fact I can afford them without uh, it being a burden. Right? I definitely want the big house. I want the nice cars. But just not right now while I'm building. You know, yeah. So that's one caveat. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. It's just I have a problem with it when someone buys it when they can't afford it or buy it on credit or whatever. Right? So Yeah. For me, a misconception about getting rich or being rich was that you needed a lot of money uh, to retire early. And I mean, you don't really need a lot of money to retire early. You basically just need to have enough passive income to cover your current expenses or your living, your lifestyle expenses. So if you could live on $30,000 a year, then you have however many assets that are producing income that cover that expense. So that was a huge, like, kind of like breaking my uh, a mental wall that I had of like, whoa, this can happen. Like I can retire in my thirties. That's crazy. Or I can retire in my late twenties. That's also crazy. Like I don't have to wait till I'm 65. Like I see the way that my parents grind every single day at work. And like, that's their generation of like, they're going to retire when they're 65 or older. And like, I'm like, well, I don't want that. And when I found about this, that I can actually retire you know, 20 years earlier than they can, this is, this is like news to, it was news to me. And it just made me so motivated to really change the trajectory of my life later on. And also uh, change the trajectory of my parents and my family's life uh, in the next few years. I think one of the things that really convinced me about this whole financial independence movement was that uh, everyone know everyone who's listening to this knows who Mark Cuban is. He actually wanted to reach financial independence. That was his goal. His goal wasn't necessarily to become a billionaire at first, right? But initially, he wanted to get to the point where his assets would just pay down. I mean, not pay down, pay for his lifestyle or pay for a simple lifestyle to where he didn't have to worry about his bills. He's He's been recorded saying that. And when I saw that, someone I looked up to, Mark Cuban, when he said that, I was like, all right, this is something worthwhile achieving. He wanted to do that in his 30s, and it, I think he became a billionaire by the time it was like 40 or something. I, I don't know. I don't remember his age, but if Mark Cuban is was it if Mark Cuban wanted to achieve this, and I think it's a worthwhile goal for everyone to try and achieve. At least that's just my opinion. Yeah, for sure, it's really inspiring too. And that's the way you should think, right? Think about like, oh, just I want to achieve financial independence, and I think once you go on that on that path. And that journey, you end up probably achieving much more than you thought you would, not just financial independence. There's like mm-hmm. a lot of other things that you learn about yourself or other, you create a business and, and that helps you achieve financial independence. Or you're like, you know what? I want to start this other like philanthropic venture. And and that also helps out. So there's so many things here. 
Yeah, I, I think I re- once you look into financial independence a lot more, it's really about getting your time back, right? You don't and getting your freedom. So you don't really have to be stuck to a job if your job um, lays you off, or I'm sorry, not your job. If your boss lays you off from from your job, then you won't have to worry about where the next bill, how the next bill is going to be paid, how you're going to feed yourself. Right. And let's say if you don't like that job, you can quit and go do something else that you if you like, just like you said, Laura. And I think that's really the power of financial independence. You know, you I think when people think wealth, they think of someone with deep pockets. They think of someone who can afford anything they want, which is nice. I think everybody should strive to the to the point where money is an issue. But the definition, I think, of money isn't an issue from a financial independence standpoint is where your lifestyle is paid for by your assets without you having to put any work in. Yeah, that's a definition of financial independence. A definition for financial independence. There's various ones. There's a lot, yeah. But that's like a really clear-cut way to put it, for sure. Another misconception that I had before I started working was that I thought my degree and my job would be enough. I honestly thought, because, again, I grew up watching rap videos. I wanted the nice car. I wanted the nice house, all this crap. And I thought that the job I was going to get after graduating college would be enough. And uh, that is 100% not true. <laughs> Even on I agree with salary. you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, let's be honest. Being an engineer, you're going to get paid very well. You're going to get paid enough to live a, a good lifestyle, uh, a comfortable lifestyle. But there's more out there. And that's what I realized. I realized that I wouldn't be able to afford what I really want out of life through the nine to five uh, payment model, through what I was getting paid through my nine to five, through the, the, um, the hourly wage that I was getting paid in my nine to five, no matter how much I scale, right? So when I discovered financial independence, I realized, oh, I can just take as much money as I can from my nine to five, use that as a source of capital and invest it very aggressively as early as I can. And the earlier I do that, the faster it's going to happen or the earlier financial independence is going to happen. Yeah, that's true. I thought the same thing. I thought graduating college, getting my job, um, doing well at that job was going to get me what I needed out of life and I was going to be satisfied. And then I think this goes back to what you have been taught about school And you've always known, at least from my perspective and my experience, that you go to, you start off at kindergarten, you go to elementary school, middle school, high school, the next, next natural step is college um, for a lot, for most people, not all, everybody, but for me, that was the case. And then my parents tried to convince me, sorry, my parents tried to convince me that uh, it's the natural thing was to, after high school, Go to undergrad, then go to grads, then go to grad school to get your master's, and right after that, you're supposed to get your PhD. So I oh honestly thought that was the nat- <laughs> that was the natural way people were supposed to go to school. Yeah. So then as I got like older, school, I was like, "Oh, lie to me? What?" <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So so that's what I mean, right? Like we're we are we have the next step planned out for us for the majority of our lives, at least. And like up until we're 25 or so, where it's just school, 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 you graduate college or you graduate with your master's or your PhD, whatever it may be. And then like the next step would be like you either stay in academia, become a professor or you like have a job in the corporate world. And like that was it. And just do that for like 40 years. And 
that is going to get you the nice house and the nice car and, and it's going to keep you safe and whatever. And that should be enough. And I got to my full-time job and I was like, wow, this is like depressing. It like, it was just like very, <laughs> <laughs> it was just very not what I expected. I mean, I didn't put an expectation or standard upon like what I was going to be doing. But at the same time, I was like, wow, if I'm just here doing this particular task, warming up a seat in the office, how can I get more out of what I'm doing, out of my time? Like, what am I doing after work was my thing. Uh, I didn't want to utilize my time after work, just like watching movies or TV or just kind of wasting. I wanted to do something really productive. And I was like, oh, crap, like, how do I utilize this time? And then I realized, well, financial independence, if I start right now, I have all this time on my hands to really work at it. And that's going to help me progress a lot farther in my um, retirement journey in getting the goals and get in achieving specific goals that I want and getting the nice house and whatever. Like these are just superficial things, but overall, like that's, what's going to help me get wealthy. Not necessarily. Is it the nine to five is what I do with my time afterwards um, to scale my skills improve my skills or, or add another income stream that's really going to define and make the difference. So another thing I want to touch upon is some, another problem I had with the nine to five model. I mean, let's be honest, I'm an engineer and, I, and I'm fortunate to be an engineer and I do honestly like being an engineer, but the nine to five model, I dislike certain parts of it. And one of the main parts I dislike is your income depending on your job, usually your income isn't tied to your efforts, right? So for example, I could be working and sitting, not working. I, I could be showing up, doing the bare minimum, barely doing any work. I could be working four out of eight hours, but the other four hours are just sitting in my chair doing absolutely nothing. While another person could be sitting right next to me working harder than me, significantly harder. He's putting in the extra, he's putting in nine hours instead of eight. And during those nine hours, he's working his butt off. And a lot of, I see, I've seen this in my internship and I see it in my current job. The people who are working that much harder. They don't get compensated enough. Maybe they'll make an extra one, two, maybe 3% more than me, maybe even 5% more than me. Right. But that doesn't correlate with the amount of work that that person puts in. And it's mostly about your time in a chair that people recognize, not necessarily the efforts you put in, in most organizations that I've noticed. Right. And that was my biggest um, realization when I was an intern actually. And from then on, when I was an intern and when I was working now, I thought to myself, there has to be a way I can scale my income. There has to be something else I can do that's tied more to my efforts and investing aggressively or maybe starting a side business is a lot more scalable. It's a lot more directly tied to the amount of effort you put into it. So, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Next misconception is, that I had was that all debt was bad debt. And, I, and I've said this on the podcast before in previous episodes where my parents were like, no, you're not getting into credit card debt. Like do not open up another credit card account. We are sending you to college with our hard earned money. We are not taking out loans. I'm like, literally that's what happened. Like, I'm so grateful that my parents had that mentality of like, they're like, you're not going to go to the most expensive college. You're going to go to the state school, public school. You're going to get as many scholarships as you can because we are not taking out loans for you. And yeah, that worked out really well because I didn't graduate with student loans and any debt. But um, that's an example of bad debt if it's a very high interest rate and you're not utilizing it or leveraging it to gain something else. 
I realize now, for example, some really simple example is credit card debt, uh, credit card, uh, not credit card debt, credit card rewards. So you can open up a credit card account. And if you spend, I think most something really common across a bunch of banks is, you know, you spend $3,000 within the first four months and then you get like 20,000 points. Other cards offer more than that, offer 100,000 points and they can be travel points. It can be cash back, things like that. And that's if you have those four thousand dollars you're going to spend anyway within the three months or a thousand dollars within the first three months, then it's to your benefit to utilize that credit card. Uh, and then if you're going to once you pay it all off, you get your cash back, you get your points or whatever, and you utilize that. So it's like it's a win. It's a win situation for you. And realizing that I could kind of play the game instead of sitting behind and being like a bystander along this type of financial world really motivated me and gave me a, the right tools in order to make progress instead of feeling like I could never open up a credit card. I could never, put, if I ever put anything on my credit card, it was a horrible thing to do. Uh, but now I know that if I do put something on my credit card, I'm conscious that I know I can pay it off right away. So that was a great um, indication of like how far I've come and, and like, just like, wow, credit card rewards. That's awesome. Yes. But let's, uh, I want to, I want to say this before we move on, uh, when it comes to debt, yeah, there's good debt and bad debt, but Laura is speaking from a perspective of someone who is very conservative and already was good with money before she looked into, into getting into any debt. So, um, again, we're not financial experts. We're not financial advisors. This is strictly for entertainment purposes, but I would, I would say that it's best to get good with money first. Make sure you can handle money first and get to the point where you have a habit of making sure that you that you hate debt and you don't like debt and you're always going to pay it off before looking to get any debt whatsoever. I don't care if it's uh, a mortgage, credit card debts, whatever, whatever debt you want to get into, just make sure you're the type of person that is going to pay it off uh, immediately or every month or you have a plan at least to pay it off. Right. Right. Um, so I just want to say that, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I hated debt. I, I still hate debt, but there are some things that you can leverage to make you more money, like real estate, mortgage loans. Um, actually you can even do this now, nowadays you can do the same thing with cars with using them as rentals. Oh, um, or like on Toro, on Toro, that's Uber. The, yeah, I can think of it. Yeah. Or that's Uber. You, like for business purposes. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, ways to leverage the debts that you have for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. And I, and thanks for, for stating that too. Like I am really conservative and you first have to get good with money in order to work the money and play the game. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing I want to touch upon is uh, <laughs> being frugal and cheap, right? I always thought that they're pretty much the same thing. I thought that the best way to save money is to save money on the little things. But then I read a book called uh, Set for Life. And that's like our golden book. I think between the two of us, we always like harp on that book, but it's so good. We, I've learned I know, so much. Seriously, that book was awesome. And the number one thing I learned, honestly, was the correct way. There is a correct way, the correct way to be frugal. And actually, let me not use the word correct there's a much more efficient way to be frugal than what most people think. Like I like going out to eat. Um, I don't drink coffee that much, but when I do, I don't want to feel bad about it. Um, I don't want to feel bad about small splurges. Right. And what he 
what Scott Trent, the author, what he stated in Set for Life was that instead of trying to save money on going out to eat or trying to save money on your daily coffee or whatever, right? It's much more efficient for you to try and save money on the larger items of your spending. So for example, um, the two items that people spend their money on, or the two categories that people spend their money on that takes up about 50% of the average person's take-home pay is that is housing and transportation, right? So it makes more sense for someone, if they want to save money, to focus all of their efforts, all their time, all their energy into figuring out how they can save money in those two areas. Maybe for housing, you want to live with roommates, you can do a house hack. Obviously, I, I'm a big advocate for that. Um, or maybe just get a cheaper apartment, right? Or for the trans- transportation, buy a car for cash if you can, um, live much closer to work, uh, anything like that. I think if you try to focus on saving money on those, you'll still find that you can do all those little things. You can do still go out to eat. You can still buy your coffee or whatever, and you'll still be under budget then before when you're living in the much more expensive apartment or when you uh, uh, didn't live as close to work as you did before. That's right. Yeah. My next misconception about getting rich was that you basically need to save all your money in order to get rich. Like just, just save it, put it in a savings account, a high risk, uh, a high yield savings account, and then not risk it at all. Like that's literally, that was literally what I did after I graduated college because I didn't know any better. And for the first few months, uh, that's, I just hoarded money and, and, oh, and then here, I'll tell, I'll tell you a story about this. And then I met Essien uh, a couple months after, and he's like, oh, Laura, I bought a, I bought a condo. Like I invested in a condo. And I was like, what? A whole condo? Man, you're rich, <laughs> right? And he, and the thing is, like, he didn't say he bought a condo. I think he said he invested a, in a condo. And that's very different. Um, and so I asked him, I was like, okay, well, how'd you do it? And he's like, well, I just put down 3.5% or whatever it was, or 5% of the loan. And that's only a few thousand dollars. And yeah, uh, it's it's cheaper than if I was renting and I'm, I'm gaining equity. The property is appreciating um, to whatever the market value is at the time. And I'm renting out the rooms. And I was like, what? what are you telling me right now? Like, what do you mean you bought a property and you're, it's gaining, you know, it's, it's appreciating. And, and in my head, I always thought that to buy property, you had to save hundreds of thousands of dollars to make it happen. And this is where I go back to saying like, oh, you can only be rich if you save your money and you just have that amount right in your bank account liquid. That's not the case that I found out after talking to Essia and talking to other people in the financial independence community and having all these guests on our show so far. And in the two years that I've graduated from college, like I've learned a lot. I've learned that in order to grow your money, because inflation is going to eat away at it, if it stays in the bank account, you need to invest it. You need to invest it in different vehicles. So if a vehicle for, for you is, or for example, for Essien, it's real estate, then he's investing in real estate. He's investing in properties, whether it be single families, multifamilies, or eventually like commercial property, or you can invest it in the financial markets. So go ahead and buy some company stocks, companies that you researched and, and things like that. And that's what I've been doing. Um, or you can do like really simple passive investing where you can purchase ETFs and mutual funds and, or you can invest in your 401k and your employer's 401k or Roth IRA, like things like that, that is going to help grow the money instead of 
having inflation in 2021, for example, being at 6% and your money is now worth not, it's, it's worth less, a lot less than what you thought it was. So that buying power of the money is something that I realized. Um, and I, and again, this goes back to me being conservative with my money. I don't like taking a lot of risks, but this whole journey has taught me to be more driven to take those risks and realizing that now is the time to do it. Not when I'm 30, not when I'm 40, it's when I'm 20 something that I need to be taking these risks. So they pay off real big 10 years from now, when they pay off real big 20 years from now. And also realizing that the stock market, for example, yeah, it has its dips. We have recessions, but it continually grows. It continually goes up. It's not like we've been trending backwards for the last like 80 years or so. But I do think it's a good habit to save your money, though. I think that's an excellent habit to have. I think someone's default should be, you know what, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to put it in a bank account. Like, I, I'd like that better than someone saying, oh, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to, I'm going to buy something with it, right? If your yeah. default is to save, I think that's a better foundation to start off with before you invest, right? Because then you have capital to work with and you're much more comfortable having more money in the bank than not. And I think that's always beneficial to someone, no matter what uh, path you choose to go on with this financial independence thing. That's true. Yeah. All right, guys. So we're going to recap here real quick as we reach the end of this episode for 2021. So first misconception we thought was we needed a lot of money to retire early. That we find out is not the case. You can have your passive income or assets that pay for your lifestyle work for you so that you don't you, you can retire early. You don't have to wait till 65 to do so. Next one is rich and wealthy. We thought the same thing. They are certainly not. Uh, rich is more of like a surface level type of um, way to showcase your money, whether that's just buying nice cars, having a high income. But wealthy is really having those assets backing you up in order for you to support whatever lifestyle you are living, or let's say you do lose your job, your your assets um, can fund all of that for you. Another misconception that we had was that all debt was bad debt. Um, that's not true because there is good debt that can you can you can leverage for more income and for more equity. The next misconception we talked about was that frugal and cheap are the same and that they're not different. But we quickly found out that there is a most efficient way to be frugal and there's a way to not be cheap. And then finally, our last misconception here was you can only get rich if you save your money and you don't risk it. Yeah, save your money, build your emergency fund. But then after that, you got to make sure you grow your money, whether that's in the stock market or whether that's other in other investment vehicles. So that about wraps it up for the changes we made once we realized and discovered financial independence. Hope you guys really enjoyed our perspectives on this. Again, this is just what we've experienced personally, and we're just documenting our journey here, showing you guys our growth, our mistakes, uh, and our also our successes. So it's been an exciting ride. All right. We'll see you guys next year. And that's a wrap.